This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Podcast, episode number 12. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I interview Rob Snow White from the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. Rob covers salmon river fly fishing in New York, nymphing and swinging steelhead flies, leader setup, and how to avoid crowds and not get killed at the same time. Rob has some crazy stories in this one, including his interview with Hank Patterson, the greatest fly fisherman in the world, and how he clipped a fisherman in the river while in his drift boat. Um, This one gets a little bit crazy, but was a real good time. So without further ado, here's Rob from the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. How's it going, Rob? It's going good. Getting ready to drive up to New Jersey for the big fly fishing show tomorrow. So my office is a little lean. A lot of things are packed up. My timetable is somewhat clean. Nice. That's awesome. It sounds like, you know, as I've been listening to some of your shows out there on your podcast, that uh, you're doing a lot of traveling and you're kind of uh, documenting it all as you go. Has that kind of been kind of your plan from the beginning with the podcast? The podcast started out, I wanted each episode to be more like a classroom lecture, one on entomology, one on hydrology, one on layering, packing. And then it just sort of turned into, I'm going to record the next road trip and see what happens. I think this kind of started with the fly fishing show in New Jersey. I was walking around with a laptop and a microphone and people back then were very skeptical about a microphone. Yeah. And now podcasts are a little more mainstream. And the stories always have just shenanigans, a lot about food, what I'm looking for when I'm traveling. I'm always looking for the fly shops. And even if it's not a fishing destination, we went to Nashville last year. I brought no fishing gear. I still went to two fly shops. Hmm. And my wife will just walk around with our daughter, do some window shopping or go to a playground and I can go have my fly shop time. So yeah, the podcast has evolved. Mm -hmm. And then it started becoming a little more interviews here and there. And yeah, it's a little bit of a mix of education, road trips, fly fishing lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, you definitely cover a lot of uh, different topics and species and things like that. And and you're coming from uh, D.C. still? I'm Northern Virginia, about 10, 15 miles south of Washington, D.C. We are four miles outside of the Beltway. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah, you're right. So the Beltway is what goes around D.C. The traffic is horrible. There's always accidents. Yep. It's always a mess. And we are now on the outside of that. Wow. Yeah, I got to. No, that's cool. I got some questions here. I'll get into in a little bit just as far as some of the the rivers you cover. I know the Salmon River is a a big one you've uh, covered on your podcast before. Yeah. Um, Turned down a trip last weekend ago. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I I always want to go up there. Any chance. That's cool. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, we'll get into that in a sec. I wanted to just give everybody a background on your history as far as fly fishing and steelhead fishing and how you kind of got into it all and how you came like full circle into a nine years of a fly fishing podcast. I grew up in a, can't call it a town, it's a planned community in Northern Virginia called Reston. It was founded by Robert E. Simon, R-E-S, in Reston in the late 60s. He bought up a bunch of farmland. He got the money from selling Rockefeller Center in New York. Hmm. 
So he bought up this planned community and he was ahead of his time with outdoor lifestyles, recreation, and even stream water management. So this little planned community, and it's odd, uh, every house is brown, your mailbox has to match your house, right. there's no above ground power lines, your basketball hoop has to match your house. So there's a certain aesthetic to Reston, but he built lakes, and the purpose of the lakes were not just recreation, they were to catch stormwater runoff. So it would go through a topwater release to a tailwater, and then you have hmm. creeks all over Reston. And it, we grew up outside. We didn't have really have TV until I was in high school. So I had a lake across the street and a beaver pond in my backyard. And my dad was from Manhattan. He wasn't a big angler, but he still loved being outside. Mm -hmm. So he would take us out on the lake, uh, probably from when I started with him, was four years old. And that progressed from bait fishing to spinning rods with purple worms and fly fishing, probably going into sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And through high school, people always asked me to take them out. There was the fly fishing movie, A River Runs Through It. And yep. that always had people interested in fly fishing all through college. In fact, my first weekend in college, my sweet mate named me or dubbed me Norm <laughs> from the yep. characters. I was Norm all through college, <laughs> which is strange to think about. And yep. then I graduated college broke a fly rod, went into Orvis. They had a help wanted sign. And I started working at the Orvis Tyson's Corner in July of 99. Oh, wow. And people just started asking me to take them out. And that's where it sort of just built up from, just casually taking clients out around Northern Virginia. And it became my full-time gig in 2009. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and that's about the same time or you got the podcast going somewhere in there. Right. Yeah, I wanted to start my own apparel line. I wanted to design clothes the way I liked them, what I wanted in fishing. So I started making hats and koozies and t-shirts. And then life changed and you know, just things progressed. And it went from tying a lot of custom shad flies to, hey, can you take me shad fishing? And <laughs> then I quit corporate life one day and that's where I am now. Wow. Yeah, living the dream. You're doing it. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a little slow now. Yeah. I've had the winter doldrums. Things are really, really frozen up. Oh, that's right. I've, yeah, it's been a hard uh, end of December through January. It was 64 yesterday. Wow. So I can't complain. Wow. Yeah, that's right. You guys had a little bit of a cold snap there. And I was, you know, I've been thinking, I've been getting a few questions on the Salmon River in New York as far as how to fish it, nymphing versus swinging, all the, right. you know, different things. And I know that's a, things have been changing and evolving there. I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about maybe about the Salmon River and how you fish it and just thinking about that person that maybe is a little bit new to it and, and help them maybe get into their first steelhead. Absolutely. So 2001 was the first time I went up there. I wasn't too familiar with salmon and steelhead in the Great Lakes. The first time somebody in 2000 offered to go salmon fishing in New York I thought they were crazy. Yeah. And this guy, Nick, I worked with. And then I went up and started catching sand. Well, it took several years to catch everything. There was a, a learning curve. Mm -hmm. There wasn't much on the internet back then. The only flies I really knew were um, through conversing with Chad Chorney. You can find him on Instagram, our Chad okay. Chorney photography. And there's sort of sucker spawn patterns. And I went up and 
no success. Started hanging out with a couple of guides and people, and they, uh, they got me into the swinging for steelhead. And back then, it was just a woolly bugger and egg patterns. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with the Salmon River, it's western New York. It's not upstate. It is uh, maybe 45 minutes north of Syracuse on 81. So for me, it's 60 miles west to get to 81, and then it's a straight shot. Super easy to get to. The river that's fishable, I don't quote me on this, maybe nine to 10 miles, and it's a tailwater. Hmm. So the water is coming out of the bottom of a reservoir, and that is used to generate electricity. So the water levels are all dependent on what's in the reservoir. Well, there's two reservoirs. There's a lower and upper. How much water is in there and how much electricity needs to be generated. So therefore, that water flows year-round 365 days. It can be five degrees out and the closer Hmm. you are to that dam the upper section it's still flowing Mm -hmm. and therefore you have an incredible biota of life there's stoneflies helgramites crane flies caddis mayflies there's huge predaceous diving beetles there's water scorpions and there's all the little fish that eat those and then it's been stocked with steelheaded salmon since mid to last century yep and you can go up there it's going to be crowded. You don't want to park and walk in at the parking spots. There are well-beaten trails on both shores through the public sections. And just walk, use Google Earth, find a nice bend or cove that looks fishy, holding water, set up camp there for the day. Hmm. And we go up mostly after the salmon are done. Salmon are fun. They end up just jacking your rigs up. They break rods. Hmm. They'll bust leaders you lose a ton of flies and when it's that crowded up there you guys probably don't see this on the west coast but the east coast steelhead streams like that one it can be shoulder to shoulder in spots yeah and it's just loud and so we wait for after the crowd the salmon are dead and then the steelhead come in to gobble up all their eggs and hold over for the winter mm-hmm. so all winter they're eating live eggs and dead eggs that get dislodged they're eating all the other critters in the water and you have a year-round fishery, and the fish are big. Hmm. Some pretty dark. We carry uh, a salmon-sized net for catching the steelhead up there. They can get quite large. And my fly design has gotten really narrow. It started off with Estaz flies, and this is completely different than what you guys do. Yeah, where you just wrap Estaz on a hook or uh, small beadhead nymph, caddis emergers, woolly buggers, and you can swing those all through certain riffles where they're holding and hooking to steelhead. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, like six or seven years ago, the intruders made their way out here. There wasn't a whole lot of information on them, and it took a lot of Google searching and playing around and emailing with some of the guides on the Erie Tribs to figure out what an intruder was. <laughs> And the first steelhead I hooked on an intruder was the most aggressive steelhead strike I've ever encountered. Nice. The last fish I caught was on a small intruder, and it's just violent. They'll pick at nymphs. So my, my go-to flies now after 17 years up there, and I can, they're right here on my desk. Yeah. I've got just boxes of them. San Juan worms or worm styles, flashback pheasant tail nymphs, jumbo john, sucker spawn and egg patterns and intruders Hmm. that's kind of it i've really narrowed it down Mm -hmm. to very few patterns that work for me in a variety of colors and it it adapted for me going up there my first year with a nine foot ten weight and giant cleats on my boots to now i'm throwing a 10 
no, 11 foot eight weight switch rod with a skagit head mm-hmm. completely different leader systems my fishing has just evolved the more i've been up there the more i've learned how to catch fish but year by year it's different we went up 2016 and we saw one fish landed hmm. in seven days there were three bites amongst all of us wow so it can be tough it can be discouraging but i'll go any chance i can yeah and you get crowds from all over we fish with guys from orvis montreal we fish with guys that come in from colorado there's people on that stream from all over the world and country because it is a fish producing hmm. river cool oh, that sounds awesome that uh you mentioned there about the leader system do you have a specific way you set up your leaders for uh for steelhead i do it's not much different than what i fish here it's when my producer jason and i were up there his 10th cast he hooked a steelhead on a pink intruder last november and i had we literally got there met at the gas station got our licenses and just put our waders on a fish we didn't layer up we didn't do anything we're in chest deep water that's 40 degrees we're <laughs> shivering and i just grabbed the first rod out of my car it was set up for striper fishing down here nine foot eight weight 20 pound 14 pound a 10 pound leader just berkeley vanish and i wasn't catching anything he was hooking fish left and right I break off, I go to shore, and I rig up what I call my steelhead leader, which is going to be a long piece. And there are rules and regulations specifically in what are called the fly sections. You have the upper and lower fly, which are catch and release fly fishing only. And there are rules about leader lengths and how much weight you can use and single fly. And we prefer those areas because they're cleaner. There's less litter. There's less people snagging fish, just more ethically fishing people. Mm-hmm. So I put on my leader and I measured it's about three feet of 30 pound mono to a short piece of 20 pound. And then I'll put a barrel swivel on that and then about 18 inches of 10 pound Berkeley Vanish. And it's a little bit longer. And what that swivel does is it allows me to put some split shot above the swivel that won't slide down right. onto the hook. And you just bottom bounce that along. You, you feel the tick of that split shot and the vibrations go up the leader to your line all the way to your trigger finger stripping hand and you just bounce 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 and you hook a ton of rocks mm-hmm. and eventually you connect to a fish and as soon as i put that on and switched flies i was into fish i caught a steelhead probably within 45 minutes and 30 minutes in i caught nothing broke mm-hmm. switched up the rig and that was fast deep cold water mm-hmm. big riffles yeah no. That water normally was about ankle deep where we were standing, and it was chest deep. We had to stand on a sunken tree just to wow. not fill our wheels up. Huh. Man. And that's the leader. Basically, I use the same leader material I, I take from D.C. up there. You never know what's going to be in the Potomac. There's always something bigger. The lightest I'll fish is eight pound yep. tip it down here. And I don't really consider much fish that I fish for or guide for as leader shy. I'm not using store-brought super thin tippet material 2x i might use if it's a smaller hook but in general i'm using berkeley vanish 10 pound which is a little thicker if the spinning guys are catching fish on the same stuff yeah there's no reason why i can't right and i've got a little plano box and i'm actually going to return a second one i bought at bass pro tomorrow and it's 30 20 14 12 town 12 10 8 and i carry that little box of spools with me in my day pack and can type any leader i need yep nice nice that's cool and uh 
as far as uh, you're, we were talking about the Salmon River here, but is do you consider that your your kind of your home river, or do you have another river you? As That's your... my home. Yeah. I my in laws are in Columbus, Ohio, half the year. They split between Breckenridge, Colorado, and Columbus. And for some reason, we go to Columbus for the holidays. And people that listen to my podcast know that my in laws are Russian immigrants, and they're very Russian. <laughs> no one speaks English. The food's always nice. Russian. Their, their dog speaks Russian. It's a small house when you get seven people and a couple dogs in it and a now a six-year-old, it gets chaotic. So every year for the last three to four years, I'll go up and fish the Erie Tribs around Cleveland. And I usually stop at Chagrin River. That was my favorite. It's the only one I've landed a fish in up there. And there used to be a fantastic sandwich shop. Like I said, my podcasts always end up going to the food angle. And it was called What About Bob's Subs? And the baguette bread rivaled anything I've eaten in Paris. Hmm. The shop is gone now. The problem, though, with the Ohio trips, so I only fish those at Christmas time. They can freeze up. It's not a, oh. a bottom release. And you get ice from the bottom up. Yeah. So the rivers will – so either it's a blown-out flood the last three years where there's a huge snowstorm and then a thunderstorm at Christmas. And the river just goes up. This year, everything was frozen solid. My cousin Caleb was up there on Erie ice fishing the whole week. Um, so I don't really have as much success in sure. Cleveland as I do on the salmon. The salmon's closer. I have a little bit more time up there. I've got my restaurants down. I've got the fly shops down. There are three to four solid fly shops up there. So every night you go and eat a dinner, and then we go back to our cabin or campsite and just tie up what we lost or what was working. And there are fly shops right on the river that are so hmm. well stocked. It is amazing i'll call melinda and have her ship me things that i can't get down here yeah because i know she carries it so i'd say the salmon has definitely been my home water for steelhead i've been wanting to try a lot of other places but i know that river i've put the time and effort into it i know my spots i know my rigs mm -hmm. i know my flies i can pack my car up with the gear i need and, and be up there in a single day yeah yeah that's sweet that's uh i wish it was closer I mean, a steelhead angler that lives in dc yeah how far now how far time-wise is it is it for you uh i can make it in six and a half the longest is 14 hours yeah because you never know what's going to happen with dc so oh. i usually leave uh i try to leave about four four or five in the morning mm -hmm. and get up there and then fish dusk and then wake up and have the full day if i leave anytime from three o'clock on it's going to add four hours oh wow it's a straight shot. Once I get through Maryland to Gettysburg, I go up 15, and then it's it's an easy straight shot. Stop in Wilkesbury, load up on Sheets. You probably don't have Sheets gas stations out there. No. So it's a regular gas station, and they have computer screens, and they're called MTO, made-to-order sandwich. And hmm. you tap the bread, the length, toasted or not, and then you pick hot or cold, and then you have your ingredients. You can order the biggest sub with everything on it. <laughs> Perfect. They're good, and they fuel you for a whole road trip. There you go. I, I have to eat at that Sheets. I'm not much into superstitions, but that Sheets has to be eaten at on the way up. <laughs> that's awesome. It's, uh, that's kind of what's kind of fun about listening to some of your episodes as you go into some of those details as far as food, you know, where to eat and stuff. And I think people that are in your area, I think it's a real benefit because they're probably learning not only fishing tips, but little tips on where to eat. So it's, it's good. And this is like, also gets me to the question on ads. I was, as I was listening to yours, I noticed just on podcasting, I guess my, my question is more 
back to podcasting, what, what's kept mm-hmm. you going for nine years and things like that. And also maybe you could talk a little bit about the ads and, and how that process works because I'm kind of, I'm just getting started here. I'm, I think I'm episode 10 or whatever, got things right. scheduled and I'm hoping to do it for nine years, but I'd love to hear your perspective on how, yeah. how you've done it. It's, I try to support local businesses and I'll give out shout outs now. Uh, if you've ever been to South Africa, the local jerky is called Biltong and you can't really get it in America. Hmm. And I ate that stuff every night at happy hour. The summer I spent in South Africa and Namibia in college. And I'm walking with a buddy down a small street in Alexandria, Virginia. We step into the butcher store. I see there's Biltong on the, the this package and it says, Made in Oakton, Virginia, which is hmm. right down the street. So I contacted the owner, and he'll do some product placement. He'll feed us biltong and meat sticks and some T-shirts, and that's how I do. It's like pot product placement for local businesses. I have a law firm locally, Speedwell Law, that pays for uh, commercials as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's slowly building up. I had an adult novelty company want to advertise. I wasn't sure if I should go that route. Yeah. But uh, I'm always looking for somebody that wants to either product place or, or pay. It's it's building. People know – I think it had to do a lot with Serial, the podcast. Oh, that's that's right. what made podcasts mainstream. That actually happened – that whole story took place when I was in Africa, huh. I think. So I missed the whole story. I, actually, I never listened to the podcast. About right. It, but it was up in Baltimore. There's still people that don't know what a podcast is. That's but true. once they figure it out and you can give them analytics and realize that – there may be a global audience for their product. Mm-hmm. They're they're into it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I guess the and the fly fish. I mean, you could uh, check in with Orvis, right, and see if they wanted to, you know, get a get an ad placement. Is that something you've thought about getting more of some of the the bigger uh, fly fishing yeah. companies? That's what when I go down to iCast in Florida, IFTD, and then the fly fishing shows. It's a lot of being a DC person and shaking hands, rubbing elbows. And just kind of schmoozing people and, and trying to get advertising. Yeah. So this weekend is not just me tying my flies and, and selling what I tie at the show. It's also going to be a lot of networking. And my last job at a government consulting company, networking was more important than the work you did. Yeah. It was bizarre that you could say, hey, I was invited to a, a luncheon today. I'm going to be networking. They're like, drop everything. <laughs> yeah, I could have been networking with a pet store. Networking, go. Yeah. My dad, growing up with him as a lobbyist, it's sort of oh cool. See, I've I've grown up around politics and and elbow rubbing. Yeah, uh, there was one company last year that said they were going to advertise and product place, but that fell through. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting to hear how the you know because you're right. There's a lot of people that have no idea. I hear every day talk to people that don't know what a podcast is, and so that's I think that's a good thing. I mean, you're we still probably have some room to grow in this uh, you know in this niche or whatever. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I think that clarifies a little bit. And I think also the cool thing is like, we're talking here and this is, you know, my audience is now listening to you and I'm sure there'll probably be some people that'll start listening to your show that maybe haven't, you know, ever heard of your, your stuff as well. So it kind of works, works both ways. Um, I was chatting with, uh, with, uh, Pete Humphreys a while back and he was talking about, uh, fishing out of a boat and maybe this is just a different area, but is that something that, uh, you guys, you do at all and, as far as for steelhead we do we'll drift from points down the river just drop anchor 
I don't like taking my boat up there. The last time I did, the water was really low and it got dinged up pretty bad. Uh, my friend Dirty Bill, he's got an aluminum drift boat, which is that's more what you see on the Salmon River. Not so much. I have a stealth craft, fiberglass up there. Okay. Some big boulders, and when you hit the rocks, the rocks don't move. Yeah. Um, so you can float the river, which just gets you into more spots, the inaccessible places that you can't wade, which mm-hmm. is nice, but. Sometimes I like to just walk different spots. You're stuck. If you're on the boat, you're committed to six miles of floating. And you can do it really fast and get out and then go back and fish the shore spots. But it's not too often. I'll maybe float it once every two to three years. And it all depends, again, on the the water level. And we were out there once. It was 10 degrees and the anchor line froze. And we almost drifted past the output or the, the, the takeout. We would have either had to jumped out and hauled the boat back up river or floated another 10 miles oh man yep <laughs> yeah that's that's the one thing with you guys over there you definitely have some extreme temperatures you don't want to yeah. get stuck in a uh, spot where you're swimming or something like that the most snow i've gotten up on the salmon river was 49 inches in one day Jeez, it's insane dirty bill posted a picture of he, i think it was his truck recently and you could barely see the antenna big dodge ram huh. meanwhile we got out of school the same day for an inch jeez yeah, it's it's the weather's up there's nuts I, uh-huh. I layer i wear a lot of layers because it's always cold and dark and there's always a cold wind coming down river cold rain and wind coming off the lake hmm. and it's unpredictable it can yep. just start snowing out of nowhere <laughs> and 10 miles away it can be bright and sunny crazy and going back to the drift boats i did a project healing waters sort of not it's like it was like an unsanctioned healing waters trip it wasn't it was with healing waters but not through healing waters and there were nine ten eleven drift boats in a row during the salmon season we're coming down and this is my old drift boat aluminum it's got nine foot oars and we have to turn left at an eddy and there's a guy standing in the middle and this is my first time ever rowing the river myself <laughs> and I'm, I'm shouting i've got an air horn <laughs> every boat in front of us warned more boats are coming and i see this guy and he's not moving and i start yelling get out of the way and he basically tells me to f off yep and he's 10 feet out in the river and i clipped him he went under popped up on the other side of the boat screaming at me that he was drowning and then went into uh, eastern european language and i rode him to shore and was like i told you to get out of the way i said there was going to be a bunch of more boats after me you learned a lesson yep and uh, that story still comes up when I'm up there hanging out with some of the guides that were on that trip. Oh, yeah. That I actually hit somebody with my boat. <laughs> and if he put his legs down, he would have touched. He was in waist-deep water. Yeah. But he was holding on to the boat as if we were going over a, a trough in the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. Wow, that is uh, – I guess that brings up a whole other thing as far as you're, you're saying, you know, the kind of the combat fishing and things like that. Are there any tips other than – I guess finding an area where you're not like that, but do you do that sometimes or are you doing the shoulder to shoulder thing? I can't do it anymore. There are spots up there that there are definitely spots that will produce fish where others won't. And I, sometimes you got to be up there at four in the morning. It's awful. Four in the morning, freezing cold. You can't fish till sunrise. You Mm. can't have fires on the river. So we'll bring our stoves. We'll make hot soup and tea and cocoa and do jumping jacks. And if you see someone's headlamp, coming down the trail everyone has to turn theirs on to show yep the spot's taken right there were times where i've slept on rocks from three in the morning until sunrise damn in the lower river 
and it's you know tripping on salmon crossing a water body water that's waist deep full of king salmon and you're tripping on them and you can't see anything around you but what your headlamp shows it's terrifying i'd rather sleep in get some coffee the lodging we have has breakfast for us yeah and it's it's 35 to 45 a night with two square meals Jeez, nice i still prefer to, to camp i've yeah. got a bed built in the back of my car now i'm more comfortable sleeping in my car tying flies in there mm-hmm. but you've got to get up early if you want certain spots or you just hike that's the easiest thing you just yeah. drive to a parking lot that's empty and just walk a couple miles in and you can have the whole place to yourself nice i like the peace and quiet up there yeah, that's, you get away from everybody. That's good. You can to hear there are some places you can you can do it. You can get away from some of the crowds. I mean, it's the I guess same thing anywhere. You know, there's places that are super busy. You can find them. You know, over here too. So, and uh, thinking about uh, you know people you talk to, do you tend to get a lot of questions from uh, people in your audience? And is there something that's a common question you get a lot of uh, specifically about steelhead fishing? Not too much. I, I pretty much put everything out there, either on the social media, the blog, or the podcast to okay. answer questions. I have one podcast I'm working on. It's about how to pack for a trip. And I forgot the guy's name. We spoke at the show in Virginia two weekends ago. He said, hey, I sent you an email about you know, requesting a podcast. And I said, are you the one about packing for a trip? He's like, yes. And as I was telling him that it's all in my mind, I just need to write it down and record it. He said he went to Montana a week later or two weeks later and that I kind of missed the window. So I, I kind of screwed the pooch on getting him the, the packing information. Oh. But he'll get it the next time he travels when I right. get this new podcast up. Huh. So about packing, people want to know where we lodge. I don't really get too many questions about the spots we fish. There are maps on the fly shops and online. There used to be a website called salmoncrazy.com hmm. where everyone talked about the fishing up there. That's, Facebook killed that for them. Okay. There's, you can see the spots on the rivers and now with Google Maps, you know where to my clients can figure out where to go. Yeah. And yeah. mostly lodging, fly shops, and where to eat. We ate at a diner last November. That was just out of this world. It was incredible. Hmm. Not used to an $8 meal around here. You can't do that. No kidding. Huh. And it was all home cooked. Jeez, that's nice. Huh. Um, I just kind of turning uh, the table a little bit here as far as... Uh, you know, you're talking, you've done a lot of guiding and things like that. What, who are a few people that have been mentors to you and that have helped you along to help you get to where you're at? Uh, you know, it's, it sounds like you started, did you say when you were um, six years old, right? When you Sixth grade. I've been fishing my whole life, picked up a fly rod. It was my brother's. It was a Cortland rod in a box. I still have it. My daughter uses it. And it was in the basement. We had this just room in the back of our house that just held all sorts of junk. And actually, I have to go to my parents' house next week to get... They want my CDs out of the house. <laughs> what am I going to do with CDs? But I'll keep them here. Yep. And I was like, all right, I'm going to borrow your rod. The house is right across the street from the lake. So I put the rod together, and I'm used to fishing shorter spinning rods. So I close the door and crack. Oh. The rod breaks. My brother looks at me. He's like, you just got yourself a fly rod. <laughs> so I got that repaired, and my brother had a friend he grew up with named Mac Hodel. Mac's out in Colorado now, and he took me under his wing and fly fished with me. And then being older, they go to college and I was left by myself. So then I go on a college trip, no, sorry, a high school trip to South America. And there's a guy named Steve Sclaru, and he's got a fly rod with him. And 
he lets me borrow it and he's got this fly i've never heard of called a clouser minnow Mm -hmm. and we're in the galapagos and we just start casting and we're catching just crazy reef fish and puffer fish maybe some jacks cool he gives me a book called uh, sex death and fly fishing (laughs) and i start reading it and it's john girak and i start asking questions and steve's drawing pictures for me and explaining things and we come back home after the trip. He goes back to Virginia Tech. I'm still in high school. And I just start focusing more on fly fishing after starting to read, starting to shop at Orvis now that I found out they're sort of in the neighborhood. I've mm-hmm. got my driver's license. And not much really happened with that other than Mac and Steve until hung out with a guy named Joe in New York for years, learned how to guide and how not to guide. So not really many, there's, there aren't really any guides around here. I'm okay. kind of the only one. Hmm. So for guiding, I had to figure that out all myself. Casting, I had to teach myself. For fly tying, Bill Skilton okay. is, he's my hero. Hmm. I used to fish his beetles, Skilton beetle. Hmm. It looked like an engorged tick. That thing in the summer was cracked a brown trout. Then nice. Orvis stopped selling them. And I met him at the fly fishing show, which used to be at the University of Maryland. And I couldn't believe there's this guy and I've been fishing his patterns. And he shows me how to tie all the stuff. And I start using foam and more synthetics to tie what he's been tying. These dragonflies with mylar backs and <laughs> this crazy looking helgramite. I've actually got one here on my tying table with this yarn that he wouldn't even tell me the name of. He said, if you find it, you know, trade secret, don't tell anybody. And I looked up to Bill for years and I still see him periodically at some shows and always have to check in. I mean, the guy's amazing. Yeah. He ties with two scissors in one hand, hmm. doesn't put them down. He can just do things with foam that I had never seen before. I used to invite him down to our Orvis store on Saturdays to tie and mm-hmm. I would ignore customers and just hang out with him. <laughs> so those are major influences for me we had a fishing manager named stone at the orvis tysons he was a big influence he reminded my first guided trip he sort of told me what to do how to do it bring some drinks and snacks wasn't too familiar and just working with him every day in that fly shop asking him questions fishing with him i'd say he was a a very big influence as well Mm -hmm. and and before that was before youtube and all the internet sources so I had just those few people and whatever black and white books were in the rest in library. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you definitely learned a lot uh, on your own and, you know, as far as resources and things like that. Now, do you, do you have something, you know, where you recommend people go to as far as, you know, an online, other than, say, local fly shops, do you know of anything online for people in your area where they can just get all, you know, get all this knowledge? Well, our local forum is the Tidal Potomac Fly Rotters, and you get everyone's two cents on there. All of it's listen, you know, listen to everything people say on there. There's nothing really, there's no bad information on there. The Orvis Learning Channel, I send a lot of clients to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have a list of the, the other podcasts. You mentioned April's podcast yeah. earlier, Tom Rosenbauer, Zach Matthews. Yep. Um, those are all regulars i suggest my clients listen to i I listen have them listen to my podcast because i'll break down seasonality of dc what flies to use and when Mm -hmm. fishing around the east coast urban fishing yep but i and there's there's some books uh trying to think what books if there's steelhead fishing up on the 
Great Lakes, you know, suggest fly fishing the inland oceans. Uh, there's the Matt Sapinski book. Mm-hmm. There's there's a bunch out there. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely uh, no shortage more these more. days. Yeah, for sure. I'll see the Angling Bookstore this weekend, and I want to buy everything there. Yeah. I just don't have the room and the monetary means. That's yeah. If I buy books, I'm not spending money on other things I need. Yeah, I know. I hear you for sure. Can you uh, take me to a memorable steelhead moment? Maybe, maybe your most memorable steelhead moment that sticks out to you, as far as you know that one that you either you landed or you that you know, you lost or you know one of those situations. Yeah. Uh, I'll start with one. We were fishing. We got to the river again at three or four in the morning. And we hung out all morning till the sun rose. This was two thousand and seven. So two weeks after Columbus Day, there's still salmon in the river. And the stretch was known as the lower black hole, which is now private because the litter bugs. I've got a video. It's got 30,000 views and it's just people snagging fish. Wow. So upriver, you had snaggers and then a couple of fly anglers down where we are. Big riffle water. We're throwing peach colored eggs with a little red dot on them and just hooking into steelhead left and right. Hmm. I hooked this massive steelhead before switch rods. I'm using a 10 foot eight weight. My rod's bent to the side, I'm reeling it in, and it's in the fast water. It's one of the biggest fights I've ever had. Mm. Not the biggest fish, but a beautiful, fresh chrome fish out of the lake. Mm. Fly a tide myself with my friends, and we're getting it right to the net, to slide into the net. And this guy up above us with a spinning rod snagged a steelhead. And what they'll do in that stretch is they'll snag a fish and they're using really heavy line. They don't have to worry about breaking them right. off. They'll walk downstream and around a bend where they can reel them in and no one sees that. They're hooked in the tail oh, and the gut. So this guy comes right down and we're yelling at him, hey, we're landing a fish here. Doesn't care. The fish's head is going right into the net. Oh. And he st- steps on the tippet right in front of the knot and pops the fish off and it swims off. Damn. And I'm a, I'm a pretty chill dude. Uh, that kind of river, there were threats of murder that weekend up there. Right. One guy said he was going to hold a guy underwater and wrap his rod around his neck until he couldn't breathe. Jeez. And so there was some combat going on up there. And I was just like, you know what? There are more steelhead out there. Yeah. I'll be good. Yeah. Um, but Airby steelhead to me, it's just, it's an enlightening moment. That was probably the one of the worst ones I've ever hooked. I hooked a small one this past March, I'm sorry, last March, I went three years without landing one. Mm-hmm. And I was car camping. It was my 40th birthday. It's 10, 11 degrees out. Very few people are on the water. And I've got this, I've been trying everything for three years. My same patterns, new stuff, old stuff. Got three days to fish. And it's the last day I think I'm up there. And I have gone through all my flies. And I look at my box and there are these woolly buggers we tied at beer tie which is our local monthly tying event okay it's like what the heck let me put on this just ugly white flashy woolly bugger and i'm not even paying attention i go up to cast again and there's a steelhead on my line (laughs) and just hooking that fish just sent shockwaves through me my body was so cold (laughs) and now the adrenaline's rushing i finally broke whatever mojo the steel had against me for three years (laughs) fishing in two different states yep and I don't know if that's why I caught a couple of steelhead this fall. It's because I broke whatever the steelhead had against me. But that fish was memorable. Not big, but pretty. Took a selfie, got it back in the water. And I, that, that was my mission. Hmm. I just wanted to go up and catch a steelhead on my 40th. 
Yeah, that's cool. This so, past, <laughs> yeah, this past year I caught a big one on a pheasant tail. Flashback pheasant tail. My buddy Tom, he lives in Denver now. He's the one I always fished with up there. He's like, flashback pheasant tails. It's the only fly I'll use. And he will catch bigger fish and more fish than anyone on the river. The biggest browns, the biggest steelhead, the biggest salmon. And that's been my go-to just to honor him. And I'm drifting it through. I tied it the night before after we were at the diner. Just big size 12 stone fly, mm. and this fish crushed it. Mm. Big, big fish. Mm-hmm. Are you are you swinging the, or how are you fishing the the little nips? Are you just kind of with the? Um, do you guys swinging use, them? Yeah. Do you guys so you don't use indicators really or any of that stuff? There are indicators, and this past year was a very high water event. Upstream from where we were fishing was a little eddy where all the flotsam from upstream ended up, and everybody's indicators from upstream had landed in there. <laughs> I got I don't know a bunch of thingamabobbers and yep. the, the new kind you can screw on. I'm not an indicator guy for steelhead. Yeah. I'm watching the end of my line. A lot of steelhead angles on the, the East Coast, the Great Lakes, will have the fly line loop and then a three-foot section of fluorescent reddish-orange amnesia line and then their leader. So you're usually watching that fluorescent orange line and I've never seen it anywhere else. If I have a client that shows up with it, I know they're on the Great Lakes fishing for steelhead i uh, don't really know anybody out west that fishes that way but you're watching i'm using a bright green line and then that orange and i'm just watching those i'm daydreaming a lot too i'm watching the seagulls and other people and just daydreaming hmm. so when the steelhead hits it's just an explosion usually you'll feel just that massive tug on the swing and then it's on and yeah. i go from daydreaming to tunnel vision oh, yeah. my eyes are just focused on landing this fish and that water's big and deep. It usually requires two people to land a fish, if not more. And everyone's cordial. They should be. They reel up their line. They'll step back. You see indicator fishing. My buddy Scott does it up there. That's just not my thing. I, I like yeah. to swing more. People use right angle leaders up there as well. Mm-hmm. And if, are you familiar with the right angle leader? Uh, yeah, only uh, I was listening to one of your shows where you were talking yeah. about it. Yeah. I've only seen it one other place in a magazine. Mm-hmm. It's... So you tie a huge indicator on the end of that orange mono, and then you just loop straight over that a, your a short leader, and it just hangs like an elbow down. Mm-hmm. And the fly drifts at the same current speed, in the same position. It's supposed to be lethal up there for steelhead. It's never worked for me. Hmm. Maybe I just haven't put enough time into it, but I like the swinging. Yeah. I like no indicator, just watching your line, watching the currents. Yeah. Watching the, uh, I was thinking about when you were talking about the white fly, I had uh, Jim Teeny on in, in episode uh, number five, and he was talking, a lot of history, it was great, but he was talking about some of his favorite colors, and he loved the white color, especially because, you know, his thing with spotting him and stuff, you know, there was times where he'd just see, he'd watch the fly, and, and you know, the fly would disappear, and he wouldn't see right. anything, but he knew that that was like, okay, and then he'd set the hook and fish on. So I thought That's that. why all the, the flies I guide with and fish myself down here are so bright because our water, the only place you're getting clear water here is water coming out of the sewage water treatment plant. <laughs> yeah. And I can see bright flies from 30 feet away. So if they disappear underwater, when I'm in the boat or on shore, I can yell, set the hook. Mm-hmm. And people walk through the fly tying shows and it's all olives, browns, and greens. And then you come across me and it's chartreuse and purples and yellows. Yep. Uh, but up there, you know, the drab colored pheasant tail for me, black woolly buggers work, and uh-huh. 
Jason was having really good luck on the pink intruders. Yellow sucker spawn. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, the sucker spawn. That's definitely a good one. Uh, I'll make a note here. You've, you've been uh, tossing out a ton of uh, good information and links all in the show notes uh, at wetflyswing.com. Uh, and this episode is number uh, number 12, so they can just search for that, take a look to find all these uh, all this information. I'm the tween podcast. What's that? I'm the tween podcast, yeah. number 12 before 13. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've never, uh, have I heard that? I guess I've maybe heard that. That's good. Okay, the tween, I'll, I'll note that in the uh, the show notes as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, we've covered some good stuff here, uh, uh, Rob. I've got uh, definitely a few more questions I want to uh, dig into Bring it here. on. Yeah, cool. So, um, I guess just thinking about uh, your podcast, how do you how do you decide on? I mean, it sounds like you're just out fishing. And you record an episode, but is there a way where you you know you decide what to what to use on your episodes as far as the content? Right. So they can be people that I want to interview. I've got a list people that I want to interview around the country, and there's always technical difficulties, so it's always easier to interview someone here. Yeah. Uh, so one day I used to work at Orvis and I'm in the shop and somebody comes in. They're like, hey, man, I, I just want to get into this. What do I need? And I was like, man, what if I just had an FAQ podcast about everything oh, a yeah. novice angler needs when they walk into a store? And that's one that just came out of, all right, I got an idea. I'm going to the back and I start just jotting notes when the client left. And I probably spent three days writing it and then just recorded that one. Mm-hmm. There you Some go. of them just, just come about like that. I'll be shad fishing and just having a banner year and maybe just go on and just talk about how the shad run is and if you're not familiar with shad east coast fish they are on the west coast yeah also oh yeah they just come up by the millions they're not leader shy they've never seen a hook or a fly or a person as long as you get something bright with a short tail down to their depths and strip it fast you'll be on fish if they're in until you want to go home that day <laughs> it's non-stop mm-hmm. so I, I usually try to explain our tips and techniques or maybe what's going on that season. And if, if people, you know, I, I go up to fish steelhead. I don't know why steelhead anglers don't come down to fish shad. It's yeah, it's ridiculous what will happen in a single day down there. Mm-hmm. Other podcasts, yeah, they just come out of nowhere. Sometimes I'll get a request, like I said, for packing or I'm trying to think of what else. There's been a lot of them. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll just say, hey, I'm going to talk about my 10 favorite flies for bass that hoping to get snakeheads on or mm-hmm. just do a quick one on what we're tying for shad because shad flies they're not too particular but you're tying them you want to tie them consistently and i've developed easy ones they can tie relatively inexpensively quickly and they work and i will mm-hmm. tell people what i'm throwing and have tutorials because people are always saying what do i need for shad this season i want yeah. to get into shad fishing hmm. I can just knock out a real quick one. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's definitely the the best way to do it. Answering the struggles and pain points from your your listeners. That's that's right. perfect. And clients will ask questions. We might just be on the river, and I might just have to take out my phone and put notes in about you know the the one I did all on casting analogies. Mm-hmm. We're out there one day, and I'm like, I, I just need to write these down. Yep. And I don't want to blog about it because I don't like to write. I did <laughs> enough writing in college. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll make a podcast just on all the analogies I've heard and given and used throughout my career. Um, I just did one. Somebody was like, man, guiding is awesome. My neighbors all think I've got the coolest job. I'm like, well, you know, you're at work today making money. 
river's frozen i'm out of work <laughs> so i did one on what i do as a guide from how what i have to keep in my car to the business aspects of it it's more than just showing up with an awesome job of being on a boat or shore and fishing yeah that's that's the tip of the iceberg it might take three to four hours to prep just a single trip mm-hmm. and so i was like you know what i'll make a podcast on what i do so people that want to get into guiding can know what it's like and see if it's if, if that's their thing mm-hmm. versus if they want a, a nine to five job where they're indoors and getting a steady paycheck with health insurance right yeah that's uh that's perfect because I've talked to a few people that have specifically replied back on, you know, my show saying they've really loved the, the fact that I've interviewed people that are guides and they've talked about it and then and they're you know one guy was saying he's just new and he wants to get into guiding so I, I know they're gonna they're gonna like uh, connecting to your tips over on your show as well. Yeah, and the, the thing that really boosted my guiding where it was one to two clients a week, we called up Groupon when Groupon was the thing. Yep, and I sold over a thousand two-hour trips jeez holy cow and that built up my clientele and social media and just got kind of my name out there that there is urban guiding in dc yeah there wasn't any urban guiding in dc there were the glitter boats that took you out for bass but nobody was guiding for shad and snakeheads had just arrived and largemouth bass so Mm -hmm. i filled that niche down here and i learned a lot of just how to work with a variety of clients and their needs, all ages. There were a lot of strange and crazy things that happened with those uh, year and a half of eight hours a day. At one point, it was seven days a week, hmm. eight hours a day for an entire summer. Wow. I learned a lot about being a guide doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a not an easy job, that's for sure. So many broken rods, so <laughs> many lost flies. One of the reasons I bought my drift boat was I got tired of just being on shore in the same place for eight hours, just rotating different clients out every two hours. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I love the drift boat. I was, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the last uh, show or two we were talking about. I was talking about tips and, and the guest said that one of them was to really just focus on you know, one run and just get it dialed in and don't spread yourself too thin. But I tend to, I have the drift boat as well. And I love just floating the river and being on the river and covering water. But I think it can go both ways. I think focusing on getting one run dialed in is important. And you do that as well, it sounds like. So Um, do you have any other, as far as steelhead tips for somebody um, that wants to get out there in your area, you know, a tip or two to help them find that first fish? Put in the hours. Like I said, it took me three years to figure it out. Yep. How to land, how to fight a steelhead, how to just fighting them. It's completely different than down here. They're, they're bigger. They're so aggressive. And if we're fishing lakes and bays, the fish have 360 degrees to go off and fight us. Here, it's either upstream or downstream. And if they go downstream, you're screwed. People run after fish or you <laughs> just kind of put the brakes on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say find some flies that you're confident in. You can go up to the shops on the Salmon River and there's tons of patterns to choose from. Pick something that you think is going to work and just stick with it. Rotate out maybe a couple colors where the fly is in the water column and find that nice water where the steelhead are just going to be hanging out and wade safely. That's one of my things. I always want to be somewhere where I'm going to be safe wading. Being a tailwater, that water bottom is super slick. Yep. The, the advent of 
modern cleats now is a lifesaver up there. Um, so I'm usually fishing somewhere safe where I have room to either back cast. The trees along that river just look like Christmas trees. There's hmm. so much gear in them. Mm-hmm. You float down the river and there's egg sacks and bobbers everywhere. Jeez. <laughs> but if you're getting into it, I would say uh, pick the flies you like. Find people to fish with that know what they're doing. They can show you the ropes. I've brought friends and clients up and they fish with me and now I'm confident that I can just sit back and watch them fish and they're going to catch steelhead. It may have taken them a year or two, but they've mm-hmm. got their own personal flies they like to use up there and that's what works for them. Mm-hmm. Layering too. It took me a while to figure out the layering up there of base layers, mid layers, heavyweight. Right. I, and I bring so much extra. Every time you land a fish, your gloves get wet and just throw them on shore and grab another dry pair. Yeah, they just wet and slimy. Totally. An extra rod. Bring extra gear because stuff happens. Mm-hmm. I've gone up and broken four or five rods on one week up there. Wow. And you're breaking them just on uh, uh, fish or hitting a tree branch while fighting it. There yeah. was one year I was sort of on my haunches tying a fly and just lost my balance and my knee went down and broke a rod. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've broken the car doors up there. <laughs> I always bring extra gear and that's part of the next podcast i'm writing about how to plan and pack for a trip is if you've got room bring it yeah my buddy drove a subaru up two years ago he insisted on a subaru i'm like man i got an suv with loads of room and he's like we can drive fast (laughs) i was like all right for once i don't have to drive i can sleep maybe drink a a whiskey and coke in the passenger seat right and um he did not want me to bring what i normally bring which is a storage tub of just fly time material Uh uh-huh if I've got room, I'm bringing everything, extras. Yeah. I, if I have it, I don't want to have to buy it up there. Especially if I have it at home. There's no. I wanted to buy a bottle of bourbon to my in-laws at Christmas. And my wife said, no, you've got two bottles at home. I said, but I'm not at home. And I, I couldn't win the argument. <laughs> yeah. Extra gear, layering, and polarized glasses. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah, you know, I, I tell people, my clients a lot, all rods will catch fish. You know, I don't work directly with a rod company, so I can I can say that. But sunglasses make a difference. You can go out with cheap sunglasses or expensive ones, and they make a difference. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing Costa 580Gs, and they're polarized, and I can see where I'm stepping in the water, if it's clear, how to step, step safely. It protects my eyes. I've been hit in the face with split shot lead jigs flies and those hmm. coasters don't scratch or break wow uh and i i think that your glasses are one of the most important things when you're up there mm-hmm. for more for safety i can't really see the fish i couldn't see jason's fish until it was right next to me that hmm. steelhead was dark and that water was black right so it wasn't for where we were walking it was just protection and if you're out early in the morning or late at night either yellow glasses or clear Mm-hmm. My buddy Smitty's a guide up there, and he said he had a sent a guy to the hospital with a hook in his eye. He wanted to fish right at sunrise. Didn't want to wait, and his buddy hooked him in the eye. Oh, See, it was too dark for sunglasses. Damn. Yep. That's in the clear. I guess it's polarized. They have yellow polarized, but I don't think they have clear polarized, which doesn't really right. matter, I guess, for you guys. Yeah, and I talked with my friend Richard Franklin about that, and he said if they had all the different colors clear, then they would have that in camera lenses he's like there's a reason they only have polarized glass lenses yeah they don't use plastic for cameras and you can't get clear no 
No, but yellow is actually seems to even on those. It kind of makes things brighter. It's the one lens. I, I guess amber them. is okay, but I, I love the yellow as well. I'm for sure that's the ninety percent of the time on the river we get plenty of nasty weather too. I'm I'm wearing my yellow, so that's that's a great tip for sure. Um, and, and the waiting as well. I mean, I've taken my shares of uh, dips and swims in the water, yeah. and I mean, it, you're right. I mean, it can be a a life threatening thing, especially when it's ten degrees out. So you don't want to. You don't want to push it, and I, the biggest tip I always give is just yeah, you, may, you take your time, make sure you got a good foot foothold before you, you know, move your other step. You know, as you just take your time across. And actually, a waiting staff is you know that kind of can get in the way for sure, but that's one more extra leg if you if you really need the the extra balance. So that's a good way absolutely. To do it. I tripped on a salmon in ten inches of water a couple of years ago. Hmm. It just I didn't see it, and it moved, and it hit my feet, and I fell and put a hand in, a hole in my hand. Wow. I filled up my waders, the chest section, so my clothes were soaking wet. But luckily there, that we weren't too far from shore. I was able to go and dry out. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen some, I've seen people donk deeply and fall in. Hmm. Just here on the Potomac, we get about two dozen deaths a year. It's called the Mather Gorge. It's a drop in elevation between Great Falls and Georgetown. And people fall in there all the time and never come out. Yeah. Yeah, that's not, not worth it. No, no I'd rather spend a hundred extra bucks in a pair of glasses and break a branch off to use as a waiting staff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. Cool, uh, Rob. Well, we're we're about there. I had uh, one more question, uh, kind of a uh, kind of a crazy question here, I guess. Uh, do you have any? You, you've had a few guests on your show. Is there any uh, kind of one episode or one kind of crazy guest or one interesting show you might point out to people? Over the and years. That Hank, Hank Patterson. Oh, nice. I hear about that all the time at Beer Tie. Hank answered the phone, and it was a str- it was a hard conversation talking to him. It would have been easier if I did it in person with him. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, he was an interesting fella. We learned that he doesn't like cilantro and he doesn't like snakes. So, well, I'll definitely leave a link and uh, get at wetflyswing.com and uh, uh, number 12 will be this episode. I'll leave a, I'm looking forward to listen to that one. So he didn't. Uh, it was uncomfortable for me. Oh, really? Did he, did he talk? Uh, you didn't get into too much fly well, fishing? I never, I never talked to Travis at all. It was Hank Patterson who answered the phone. Yeah. And we just went right from there. Wow. There you go. He's in his, uh, he, I mean, he probably has a hard time getting out of his, uh, you know, his uh, whatever you call that. Right, his character. And people I guess. that listened to it didn't understand that Hank Patterson is sort of a spoof. Sure, people thought it was that he really thinks he's the world's greatest fly fish. Well, of course he is the world's greatest guide. Yeah, but I went to iCast right after that, and people are like, "You didn't know who he was." We're like, "What? Who's that guy you interviewed? That was so bizarre." No kidding. That's good. Like, yeah, it was this interesting one. The reason, well, I mean, obviously, I mean, I guess some people plenty of people think he's funny but i think one word of advice as far as uh you know you don't want to be boring that's one thing that uh you know you keep it interesting so i think having hank on your show regardless of how weird it was was probably a good thing for your show it sounds like you still get feedback from people too absolutely and then there's the women at icast who always try to put their lipstick on and do their hair and i'm like it's it's a microphone it's a radio show yeah there's no camera yep yeah, and then there's some people that just refused, and I'm like, well, that's fine by you. If you don't want to talk about your company to a worldwide audience, fine by me. Oh, you mean they well, refuse because it's not a, um, a a video? I don't know. Oh, yeah, sure. People will be like, yeah, I don't have time, not interested, or 
yeah. just shut me down. I'm like, your loss? Yeah, totally. I'll find someone who wants to be on it. Yeah. No, I've had, uh, you know, I, I'm early in this, but uh, I've talked to a ton of people, and I think I've only had one person that I've talked to that said, you know, they can't do the show. Uh, you know, and that's out of uh, quite a few people. So it, it sounds like, yeah, occasionally you're going to get, the, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, I've got a buddy who's an international traveler. He's got a, a travel channel show. And like, dude, just, I know you're super busy, but you you have layovers, man. Let me just call you on Skype at an airport in yeah. Kuala Lumpur or something. It's easy. And I'm still trying to get him on. Yeah, I know. It's he he a- seems there's no rush for him. Yes. Yep. I hear you. I hear you. Cool. So uh, one one last uh, question here, as far as your show, uh, it sounds like. I mean, you obviously you've been doing this a long time. What's your plan as far as into the future, and maybe in the next six months, anything new we can expect from the show? You want to give a little shout out here? I, what I really want to do is turn it into a video series where each episode is also visual. Hmm. I would love to have an hour long entomology or an hour long see me put the layers on and take them off where people can actually see how i would layer or Mm -hmm. tie flies or go fish somewhere branch out from just the audio Mm -hmm. definitely want more listeners want more sponsors Mm -hmm. and just have fun with it it's sort of my side project yeah yeah, it's a good side project to have. I guess on the the videos, you, do you do some? Uh, you have some YouTube stuff out there now, or do you have a channel? Yeah, very low budget. It started off with just a camcorder of me tying flies, and I always tie from my perspective. You always yeah. see the camera coming at the person. Yep. I tried it now. It's so much easier with an iPhone, where I prop up the camera in front of in me, front. so they see my point of view. Yeah, that's that is the better and way the to do it. And the crazy thing. And I'll, something will happen. I'll run out of space on my phone or the dog will bark or my daughter will come down and I have to end that one. So I ended up with 10 flies usually. If yep. I just do I do one video, I get a ton of flies, <laughs> which I can't complain about. No. But I don't really do – I'm not a video person. I never mm-hmm. learned how to edit video, so I just straight up upload them. They're not, yeah. not high quality. Sure. But they show you how to tie my patterns. Yep. Yeah, and when you go as far as in the future, are you thinking? I don't even is is audio is uh, video podcasting. I'm not even sure if that's still a thing or not. But uh, I mean, obviously, YouTube is the big one. Would you would you be posting more on YouTube or another uh, another? Spot? Yeah, YouTube. Yeah. Um, I've got a friend at Netflix I'm trying to get her to pick something up. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there. I don't think that'll happen, but yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, pretty big player. Cool, Rob. Well, that's uh, that's about all I have for you. Um, did you want to maybe uh, give a shout out as far as where people can find you again, whether it be the best place if they had questions for you? Yeah, so I'm on most social media. My last name really is Snow White. Mm-hmm. So Rob Snow White, one W, it's one word. Uh, I've got a Facebook, my regular Facebook, which turns out to be more political, being in D.C. Oh, yeah. Um, so Fly Fishing Consultant, on Facebook, Rob Snow White on Instagram, Twitter. I think YouTube, it's R Snow White. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. And everything's on the side of, of robsnowwhite.com. Oh, good. Okay. So they can find you there. Click those. Yeah. Awesome. And, and I'll, uh, I'll be putting links up for this as well. So my listeners will hear about it. Great. 
Great, good stuff. So, uh, yeah, Rob, I want to thank you for coming on and providing all the information on, you know, the Salmon River and everything we talked about here. I know, like I said, there's a bunch of people that uh, ask about that all the time for me. So I appreciate having this resource. And I hopefully I can call on you in the future if I get a, another question or, uh, you know, if we, maybe we can do another show down the line. That'd yeah. be awesome. And everyone, debarb your hooks. Yeah. That's just another thing. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's another great tip for sure. I'm a, I'm gonna go up and fish the Salmon River now. I'm only gonna be like three hours away from it tomorrow. No kidding. All right, so we yeah. could we can look for a, a post here soon on on how things went. It'd be nice if I could sneak away. Nice. All right, Rob. Well, uh, thanks Very thanks cool. again, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take see care. Ya. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links that are covered in this episode, just go to wetflyswing.com and search for episode number 12. If you like the tips in this episode, go to wetflyswing.com slash free and get the Steelhead Tips PDF Quick Guide, which includes a summary of all the best tips from the podcast up to this date. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to hopefully catching up with you soon and seeing you on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.